1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It reads, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be not you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanophus, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, but lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the day, and uh, I thank you so much for our time here this morning, and uh, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. I thank you for uh, the songs that we've sung, just how uh, powerful they were for, for me this morning and how they spoke to my, my heart and my soul, for the prayers that we lifted up. Have you have spoken to us this morning, Lord? Uh, your presence is here, and so we thank you that, that you are an unseen guest here. But, Lord, we, we know that you're here. We know that you are working in this place and in this church and in this community. Not just at White Park, but at other churches right here in St. Joe and throughout the state, throughout the country, throughout the world, you are there also. Leading us to you through worship. It's amazing, Lord, what you're able to do. And Father, I pray that today as we are here, we would recognize your goodness, your greatness, your glory, and how much we need you. I pray, Lord, that... Uh, we recognize how much we need each other, how we are created for community, how we are created to live amongst one another, that we need each other. Father, help us when we come up short. I pray that especially for myself, Lord, that you would forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life. Give me the grace, Lord, that is needed to preach your word in a way to bring honor and glory to your name. Give me the grace, Lord, to be the man that you've called me to be, to do the things that you called me to do. Father, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be that day, a day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess him as Savior and Lord. I, uh, I pray for the believer that's here. 
whether they've been here every Sunday for the last 50 years or maybe this is their first day. Father, whatever is going on in their life or whatever is happening right here, right now, I pray, Lord, that you would give them uh, just a reminder of your glory, of your goodness. Speak to them in the ways that they need today. Father, whatever happens here today, it's for your honor, it's for your glory. We love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. And the spring of uh, 16, 2016, an earthquake, a rather large earthquake struck uh, Ecuador, the country of Ecuador, and uh, especially hit the coast really bad. And when I was there in 2020, uh, February of 2020, just almost four years later, the destruction that happened in 16 was still very much around in 2020. I mean, they just, they didn't quite recover from it, you know. We stayed in a hotel for a week there at the coast, and uh, down this road, there were all kinds of different hotels that just never opened back up. Their building was so badly destroyed that they just never even tried to rebuild. And then there were other hotels that did. They, they rebuilt, and they put everything back together, and they made a go out of it, but the, the the economy was so badly affected by this earthquake that there wasn't the infrastructure there. There wasn't, no one was coming to this town because there was nothing else there. There was, no, people moved, they left, they, they lost their livelihood, they couldn't rebuild. Sometimes when destruction happens in our own lives, it's not a, a natural disaster, but something happens where the wake is so big that it never, we never stop feeling the effects of it. I mean, the ripples just continue to go and they go and they go. You know? I, I was listening to Dana White this week and he said after he... Uh, smacked his wife. He said, from now on, that's going to be my label. That's my punishment. I don't agree with that. You know, I mean, but sometimes we do things in our life. I had a friend of mine who, who got arrested for dealing drugs. As an 18, 19-year-old boy, he went to prison. And he told me after he got out, he said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to pay for the mistakes I made as a 19-year-old boy. Sometimes the things that we do in our life, they just, no matter what happens, you can't recover from it, you know? We feel that for the rest of our lives. Sometimes we, we go through pain, suffering, we, we lose a loved one, and that just, it's always there. Sometimes in our faith, it's the same way. I mean, we, we do something, we make a mistake, or we, we feel the effects of that for the rest of our life. And Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today that the destruction that was happening and the relationships at the church in Corinth were so bad that they were being felt. And he wants to restore the relationships. Instead of allowing for this ripple to continue to go on, he wants restoration to take place. And so he's calling for them to restore the relationships that were broken. 
to bring back what was once there, to make it whole, to knit it back together. You ever break something and try to put it back together? That's not easy, right? It's impossible sometimes. You break a, a vase at your house and you're like, might as well just throw it away. Paul's saying, let's knit this back together. It's not too late. Sometimes, friends, we think that it is. He says here in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul starts his passage of Scripture out by asking them to be united. He asks them to not be divided and to be of the same mind, of the same judgment. This is how we know that Paul was not a Baptist. <laughs> you know, I mean, when Baptists gather together, you know, two or three are gathered together, two or three are divided amongst them, themselves. You know, I mean, like Paul is saying, hey, hey, we need to be united. Paul is asking grown men growing woman to do something they don't want to do you ever try to teach an old dog new trick I mean it just how would you like it if you're doing something and someone says so you stop doing that you know what if I said to you you need to stop would you listen how easy is it for you to take criticism to take instruction to listen to other people's input. As a young kid, it's not that hard, right? I mean, you, you don't even know how to communicate with other people. I mean, so sometimes you're just putting your left foot in front of the right, it's hard to do, but as a grown man, as a grown woman, you know what you're doing. And yet, sometimes we do things the wrong way and we don't wanna to be told that. We're supposed to know everything by now, right? <laughs> Paul here is asking for unity to not be divided. And some of them are thinking, ah, I could agree with some things that you're doing. There are some things that I, I like that you're doing. I, maybe I could agree with this or that, but I don't want to agree with that. I mean, I got to be united in everything. I, how about just, let's just do these three, two or three things. I can handle that. But is that what Paul is asking? As Paul is saying here, just find two or three things to agree upon and you'll be Okay. The verb here, united, is kartartizo. Kartartizo. And it really means to be united completely. Perfectly knit together. And oftentimes, in most cases, there needs to be restoration. In order for that to happen, in order for you to be knit back together, in order for there to be perfect unity, restoration needs to happen. This verb, kartartizo, is used 13 times in the New Testament. 13 times. Okay? Paul uses it a lot. Oftentimes, when we see it translated here throughout the New Testament, instead of seeing the word united, you see restore, restoration instead. Some of you maybe even see that today in today's passage. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church in Corinth in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice and aim for what? Restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and God and the God of love and peace will be with you. Huh. In Galatians chapter 6, 
He tells this church, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should what? Restore him. And a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself. Let us see you be tempted. You should restore him. You should aim for restoration. You should aim for unity. Paul is saying here, when someone who was once inside of the church, but now is outside, our goal is to bring them back, but to be gentle. There is a reason they're not there. If the goal is unity through restoration, then how is that done? I mean, how do you restore someone back into the flock after they left? How do you practice gentleness in this moment? How is that done? I mean, is gentleness something that, is that an attribute of your life? I mean, when people describe you, do they call you gentle? Man, he's so gentle. Is that, is that something that, that would describe you? Mike, no? Jen's like, no. Jen is shaking her head, absolutely not. I mean, how do you practice gentleness? Anybody an expert? Want to give a testimony here this morning? Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And our wrestling team, I, for those of you who know, I, I helped coach a high school wrestling team. I'm a, an assistant coach. They were desperate. And so, but I have an upperclassman on the team and he does a really good job at yelling at people, yelling at his teammates who aren't working hard. I mean, if they're slacking off, he yells at them. I mean, I mean, he yells at them. Gentleness is not an adjective that describes him, friends. He does not know. I mean, he is, he, sometimes he's mean. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of like, because that means I don't have to yell at him. Another coach doesn't have to yell at him. I can save my voice to yell at y'all. You know what I mean? And so, but it's, it's one of those things where like, Sometimes we need to be yelled at. You know, sometimes we need a, a fire. I mean, especially as a wrestling team. Like, they're, you know, there's not. I mean, if you're smoking in the boys' room, like, there's sometimes there's just, you need to be yelled at. There needs to be discipline, right? But if all I do is yell at you, Make no mistake, a wrestling team and a church are two different things. Some of you might appreciate me yelling at you at first, but after a while, uh, it just all becomes the same. It loses its function, its purpose. You grow tired of my voice, my words, they will fall on deaf ears. When my wife and I, we argue about really important topics like who had the remote last, you know, my youngest son, he will, uh, he will ask the question, are you guys squabbling? <laughs> even when Kathy and I are squabbling about, squabbling about things that we don't even know we're squabbling about, our kids grow tired of it, you know? Like they are like, hey, 
It's not, it's not appealing, you know. It's not something that people want to see. It's not attractive. It's not the greatest look, constant infighting. Same is true of the church, friends. When you visit a church, is that what you want to see? Is that what you want to be known for? The church in Corinth knew this wasn't a good look. Paul didn't hear about what was going on, about the constant infighting in the church from the church leaders. He heard about it from a household, Chloe's household, that was communicated to him separately. Hostility is one of those things that doesn't go away, though. It just doesn't. I mean, if there is tension, if there is a... You've got to deal with it. You've got to resolve it. It's not something that's just going to go away after time. It actually just gets worse. It's more, it becomes more awkward, more difficult to handle. You ever, you ever meet somebody, you, you introduce yourself, you find their name, and then you forget and you go and you continue to talk to this person. I would never do this, by the way. And you forget their name. And you just, it's beyond the point of where like, hey, what's your name? You can't ask the question. It becomes awkward, right? You ever get there? Sometimes like in relationships, the tension is so bad. It's, I mean, it's like, it's so awkward. You should have dealt with it years ago. You still resolved it years ago. And yet, here you are, still unable to talk to this person because you just haven't said, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Sometimes we just got to ask the name. Sometimes we have to go up there and say, you know what, I made a mistake. It's not worth ruining our relationship with. I'm sorry. I care more about you than being right. Verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paul's, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The tradition The traditional belief is that there were four different groups within the church in Corinth who followed these men, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ. The question really has become, were there these four groups even a thing, or is Paul just using sarcastic rhetoric here to make his point? Much of what I read this week argued that Cephas was never in Corinth. You know, that, why would there be a group that's following Peter if he's never there? I mean, are they just referring to Judaism here? I mean, I don't think that makes much difference to us today, whether there were four different groups that the people of Corinth were following, or is Paul just using rhetoric here to try to persuade them to, to see the error of their way, especially today. The point is that there shouldn't be anyone that we identify with other than Jesus Christ, friends. There are people in our life, though, that we...
There are people in our life that have made a huge impact on us. We're connected with them. There are, there are people that we just, that we're drawn to. As pastors, this goes both ways. We, uh, we have spiritual leaders that impact us, that we're forever indebted to. And then we have parishioners that we go through things in their life. And the connection is a lifetime, you know. I, uh, I pastored a church a few years back and the a couple had lost their young adult daughter to cancer. Short battle, very quick, she was gone. Mother to five kids. And, uh, you know, I just... The connection that was made between myself and this couple, and even Kathy, uh, it's a lifetime. I mean, we communicate on a regular basis. We text, we call each other, we like each other's Facebook posts, and when we're able, we'll sit down and eat a piece of pie together. You know? There are people in your life that you're gonna be connected to. Pastors, coaches, teachers, bosses, family members, you know, you're gonna look up to them and you're gonna think, I mean, even political leaders, we see this, we have such a connection to them. But at no point should any man or woman take the place of Jesus Christ in our life. We're not many gods. There's only one true God. Only one man died on the cross for your sins. We're, we're not baptized in the name of Jeffs or, or in the name of Mike or Jimmy or Billy or John or Kathy or Amy or Rod or anyone else other than the name of Jesus, friends. I mean, what Christ did for you. The reason that we're here isn't because of Jeff. It's not. It's because we all recognize our need for Jesus Christ. We all recognize, man, I need Jesus. We have that one. I mean, there's a lot of differences in this room, friends. Political, theological. Ideolo I mean, there, you just think about it. The, the personalities, the beliefs, the, the way of living. The, I mean, we are... A diverse group of people, but we have this one thing in common that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we can't gather together and say, you know what, we're going to be knit together by this one thing, and everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary, friends. Jesus Christ is our Lord. We gather together under the name of Jesus, and we all recognize that need. It's secondary. It's secondary. Jesus is primary. Like, I, I, I know I don't agree with you on everything. I don't agree with my wife on everything. And I love her. I, I, I committed myself to spend the rest of my life with her. Better or worse. I thank God, Paul says in verse 14, that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that 
No one may say that you were baptized in the name, in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanophis. Beyond that, I did not know, I do not know whether I baptized anywhere else. There are, these, lead, these men are leaders in the church in Corinth. Crispus was a, a synagogue leader in Corinth that accepted Jesus in Acts 18, 8. Paul baptized him and all of his household. Definitely not uncommon for the members of a household to follow the spiritual direction of the patriarch of the family. It's still true today, friends. It's still true today that when a, a father decides, I'm going to take my family to church, guess what happens? I mean, look at the numbers. When the, the, the patriarch of the family decides to go to church, decides to get his faith in order, just look at the numbers. I know some of you, again, not going to agree with me on this. Some of you say, wait a minute, we're an egalitarian family. Go read Ephesians. <laughs> Go read Genesis. This isn't to belittle. It's actually to increase the function of the family. Well, I know that's not a popular in today's world, but let me tell you what it means. If you walk by your husband's side, you are to encourage him, support him, help him in every way. And the two of you walking together with the Lord will find in that relationship the fulfillment and completeness God intended from the very beginning. Husbands, there's no greater love in all the world than the love that Jesus demonstrated when he died on the cross for us. This is the way the Bible says that you are to love your wife. And if you do that, it will bring more joy and fulfillment in your life than any other human relationship that you could possibly have. Husbands, love your family by leading your family. Christ did not send me to baptize, Paul says, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied by his power. Paul's ministry was a ministry of preaching. Uh, he was saved by a great God. He wasn't saved by intellect. He wasn't saved by a great leader. He was saved by a great God. The church and Corinth, friends, they forgot who they were following. They forgot what was important. For the... Uh, past 20 years, uh, I've been involved with Southern Baptist Church, as many of you know this, and uh, as a layman, as a pastor, uh, you know, there's a lot of changes. If you know anything about the SBC life, and uh, many of you do, a lot, of, a lot of changes have happened in the last 20 years in the SBC, some good, some bad, but there's been a lot of bad, uh, a lot of, uh, especially in the last couple of years, I mean, just really... Uh, things you don't want to see in the news, scandals after scandals and uh, poor leadership decisions on every front. Uh, one of them was just regarding uh, sexual predators and things of that nature within the church. And they, when somebody would call the SBC and say, hey, this pastor or this spiritual leader did something that he shouldn't, they would 
ignore it. They wouldn't do anything with it. Uh, it kind of came out last year, all the um, results of So, there's a, the SBC elected a, a new president last year. His name is Bart Barber. Uh, he's, uh, he's been a, an active voice against this whole entire thing. Stood against it. He's rallied against it. He's called for men in leadership to resign, to be fired. He was an active voice but he's also, I mean, just a, a, an odd man to be elected as the president of the largest Protestant denomination. He pastors a small church in Texas. He, uh, you know, not a professor, not a pastor of a mega church. You, you honestly, you probably never heard of him unless you were in the community or you maybe you lived in Texas or followed him on Twitter. I, I, I it's crazy that this man is the president, but you listen to him speak and you listen to what he does and you just, you cannot help but love the guy and love what he stands for, what he stands against. He was interviewed by Anderson Cooper uh, and he was asked, Cooper asked him, what do, you, what do you say about these people that were ignored? This is what he said. He goes, it's not, it's not a strong enough word. This is what he said. To be, we didn't just ignore them. Sometimes we impugned their motives. Sometimes we attacked them. The reason why I'm president of the Southern Baptist Convention is because our churches do not agree with that. And I've taken actions to correct them. Let me just read this last one to you again. Because our churches do not agree with that and have taken action to correct them. <laughs> Sometimes we got to look at ourselves, friends. Look in the mirror. Look at our actions. And say, you know what? I don't agree with this. I don't agree with the way that I live. I don't agree with the decisions that I'm making, my leadership. And instead of pointing the finger at somebody else, we gotta, we gotta say, you know what? I, I gotta correct me. I gotta change the way that I live my life. In order for there to be unity and restoration, in order for there to be community, in order for there to be genuine obedience, faithfulness to my Lord, I've got to change myself. It's not anybody else's fault. It's my fault. I'm the one that's making the poor decisions. I'm the one that's being disobedient. I'm the one that's not faithful. I'm the one that's not reached out to a brother or sister in Christ and said, you know what? I'm sorry. Sometimes we have to be the responsible one that says, you know what? I'm going to take action. I'm going to change. Father, we give you thanks for the day. I pray, Lord, that today will be a day where we take action, where we look at ourselves and, and say, you know what, Lord, I, I, need to, 
I need a change. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus, that they'd be willing to, to make that change, that they would start there, they, they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray for the believer, Lord, that's here today. Father, if they would take this moment of invitation and they would look inwardly and ask you, Lord, what am I doing right now that needs to change? What am I doing that's, that's har- causing harm to others? Or it's, what am I doing that can bring disunity? Or how can I bring restoration into this community of faith? How can I bring restoration into the community of St. Joe and the body of Christ? Lord, I pray that you would speak to us right here, right now, that that God, that you would penetrate the hearts and the minds of your people, that you would allow them to hear a word from you today. And that people would change. That they would take action. They respond in a way that would bring you honor and glory, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. And all of God's people said, Amen.